Amen. Well, I'm a fan of hymns. I like hymns. I love that we sang that, that little more modern day hymn in Christ Alone earlier. And as I was reading through Colossians, uh, an old school hymn just started singing in my head. And then I started singing out loud with my mouth. And, and I want us to together sing the third verse to the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessings, just as a way to dive into the book of Colossians. And so we're going to sing this a cappella. And I want to ask, go ahead and put the lyrics up on the screen. I want to ask that you would sing louder than me, please. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it with thy spirit from above. Rescue thus from sin and danger. Yes, Lord. May I walk on earth a stranger as a son and heir of God. Amen. Thank you. Aren't those beautiful lyrics? So much truth, so much encouragement. You know, many of the New Testament letters were written to churches. They were written to believers who were wandering from the gospel, prone to wander. Prone to to wander, and they were, they were wandering from the simplicity, the centrality of the gospel of Jesus plus nothing. They started out strong, but something happened. Something began to change. And this is the case with the believers in Colossae. And if you haven't opened up your Bibles yet to the book of Colossians, go ahead and do that right now. Colossians. These believers in this place called Colossae were wandering from the sufficiency of the gospel. And we hear a couple of, of evidences of that by the Apostle Paul as he's writing this letter to them. He says that they were being deceived by fine-sounding arguments. And that's in Colossians 2 verse 4. And that they were also being taken, quote, captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And that's Colossians 2, verse 8. So, like we're familiar with that saying, Houston, we have a problem. In this case, it was Colossae, or Colossians, we, we have a problem here. So, welcome back to Mission 27. How many of you are enjoying this journey through the 27 books in the New Testament? All right, we got some hands up in the room. It's good. I want to remind you that, that what I do on Sundays in Mission 27 it's just, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Where the real value comes is when you read the Scripture. When you read the book of the New Testament that we're on that week. That's where the value really shows itself. So I want to encourage you this week, read through the book of Colossians. If you notice, we're in a, we're in a period on Mission 27 where the books are getting a little shorter, so you don't have any excuses. This is about a 15-minute read at most, and so this is something you could even do every single day and get the full picture and the full message of what the Lord is telling us through this letter to these believers 2,000 years ago. So have you all heard of the term syncretism? 
Syncretism. Here's the definition of syncretism. It's the reconciliation or fusion of differing systems of belief. That sounds warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? Reconciliation and, and fusion of differing systems of belief. It sounds open-minded. Everyone, after all, has something good to bring to the table. Well, maybe not. That might not always be the case. See, after, you know, what can it hurt, by the way, just to add some of the best practices that we find out there in the world? Some of the other religious practices that, that seem really effective. Some of the philosophies of man. What, what, could it, what could it do wrong to add some modern science to the gospel? Doesn't that make sense? I mean, that, that after a period of time, aren't there new things that, that really could enhance the gospel and make it better and make it stronger? And y'all are looking at me like, what's wrong with you, man? And exactly. But that's what syncretism is. Syncretism is when people take the gospel and start adding other stuff to it. Syncing, connecting, linking, adding other things to the plain, simple, beautiful, powerful truth that God has given us. But here's the problem. When you mix anything else with the gospel, it becomes another gospel. Amen. When you add anything else to the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. It's another gospel. What God has given us is perfect. Can I get an amen? amen? It's perfect, man. And when we mess with it, when we think we're going to tweak it, we end up with something of our own creation. Man, I don't want that. I know what I get when it's my ideas, when it's my plans. I want God's ideas, God's plans. I want the gospel of Jesus and nothing else. That's what saves that's what justifies, that's what sanctifies, that's what will glorify us one day. It's the gospel of Jesus. So syncretism is what was blowing up the church in this place called Colossae. And it was causing many believers to actually get ripped off, being drawn away from Jesus. And syncretism is alive and unfortunately well today in the church and in the lives of many believers. And so I'm going to just give a couple pictures and present a couple places where syncretism um, is happening today in the body of Christ. And, and I just want to warn you that, I'm serious, I'm going to probably step on some toes, but how many of you know that that's just what Pastor Eric does? I don't mean to. I don't seek, you know, throughout the week, you know, show me how I can step on more toes and just offend people and, and upset people. Um, and I imagine Paul didn't want to do that either. Paul wasn't looking just to frustrate the believers. He wasn't looking to shout people down or to cause conflict or frustration or offend anybody. But Paul loves the body of Christ. And he loves the believers. And he loves the gospel. And he knows that when, when people embrace the gospel and nothing but the gospel, that their lives will be completely changed. But if we start messing with it, that all the wheels start to fall off. And so I'm just going to give a couple of modern-day examples of syncretism, of 
adding to God's truth, of adding to the gospel. And so the first one is what I will call the deceptive theory or human philosophy called evolution. What is evolution? Evolution is, is a man-made theory. It's not even called science, to be honest with you. It's called a theory. Why isn't it science? It's because science has to be observable. And there was only one person who observed the beginning of creation, and that's the one who created all things. And here's what's amazing is that the one who created all things, who was there at the beginning, then wrote it down for us, had man write it down for us of exactly what happened. The effects of, of adding to what God has already said and given to us have already shown to be devastating. When we add this man-made theory to creation, what do we get? We get generations now who've been fed this human wisdom, who have seen a gospel that's been distorted, and you have generations now that have grown up not understanding that they've been fearfully and wonderfully made by the creator of the universe. We have generations that now don't understand that that they come from, from God's hand, not from goo. And it's no accident that we struggle with things in our world today related to the value of human life and the sanctity of human life. Because we've added man-made theories into God's truth. It's no accident that we have people that don't understand whether they're male or female. When we add stuff to what God has said, we make a mess. I want to say one more thing. I just need to say this because you're thinking, man, he's just this hardliner. And look, we can all fellowship together if, if this is not one of the big rocks, although I think it's a pretty significant deal. Here's, here's what gets me, by the way, what kind of sealed the deal for me on just reading the Bible as it relates to creation and God created in six days and on the seventh he rested actual days is because when did death enter this world? What caused, what caused death to enter the world? Sin caused death to enter the world. You see, there was no death, no death on this planet. Everything God created was perfect. There was no death on this planet until Adam and Eve sinned. And that's when the death and the decay and all of that began to happen. And if we remove that reality of the cause of death, and we say that sin did not cause death, then we totally, 100% unravel our need for a Savior to go to the cross and die on our behalf to rescue us from our sin. You see what happens when we add just a little bit of human wisdom, thinking we're going to we're going to add to what God has said and, and, and explain better than what he has explained to us anyway. Syncretism. Syncretism. 
It was going on with the Colossians. It's, it's been happening ever since. It's going on today. Um, another one, stepping on some toes, um, the acceptance of New Age and Eastern religious practices. Thinking that we can grab some best practices and some things that seem like they're helpful to us. Help us just to calm down or, or, or find some comfort. And we can add those to our Christian walk. And, and I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. Yoga is an example of that. And yoga is literally was created by another religion for the purpose of posing in certain positions that would exalt and worship false gods. That is the core of where that practice came from. And, and I'm just going to humbly say, and it really does, when you, when you look at it from that perspective, it flies in the face of worshiping Christ alone. It just does. And I want to challenge you, if, if that's a practice that you've been engaging in, because it's very popular, and a lot of Christians have embraced it, and, and, and ministries have embraced that, um, that just really do a deep dive. And ask yourself, do I need this? And is this right for me as a follower of Christ? We see syncretism everywhere. Humanism says that man is truth. Pluralism says that everyone has a piece of truth. That's a popular one today. Everyone has their own truth. You got your truth, I got my truth. And that all works with the gospel, right? I got my truth, God has his truth, and together, you know, we live in perfect time. We make a better truth when we all bring our own truth together. Mysticism says that intuition is truth. Hedonism says whatever feels good is truth. Secularism says that this present world, man, we've got the truth because we've been around longer. All these deceptive philosophies have crept into the church. Now I'm going to give one more example of, of syncretism that I'm just figuring, if I'm going to step on some toes, i got to go all over the place with this. So I thought about this. It's, it's, it's July 4th weekend, and I am so grateful for the nation that I live in. I mean, I am so blessed. We are so blessed. We live in the most free, prosperous nation that's ever existed on this planet. And there are people that have gone before us. There are people today on this planet who are living in poverty, who are living under the threat of death. The world is messed up and it's hurtful and we are incredibly blessed. It's like we were born into Disneyland, although I don't want to say that anymore because I don't think Disneyland's a good place. Frankly, that's just my own opinion, but that's another story. I mean, they're going off, they've gone off the rails, man. Um, but here's, here's another, I think, form of syncretism that we can easily fall into. Those of us who are just grateful for this nation and grateful that this nation was founded by men who fear God and would read his word and would pray. But Christian nationalism can be a step into syncretism. Christian nationalism says that, that this nation, what we need for this nation to really be really bring God's kingdom, and really just seal the deal for the gospel of Jesus as we need this nation to be a Christian nation in the sense that we need this to be a theocracy. 
And if we just make it in the law that everybody has to follow the ways of Jesus, that's going to fix everything and we can really help push this whole gospel thing across the, the, the finish line. You know what I'm saying? Jesus doesn't need this to be a theocracy for him to accomplish what he has already accomplished. He doesn't need us to add that to what he has done and is doing. Now, should Christians be involved in politics and government in the public square? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the issues we've had is we've been silent. I love Ephesians 5.11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We need to not mess around with the things of the world, and we need to expose it when things in this world and in this nation are hurting people and are sinful. We need to do that. And we need to run for office, and we need to vote. Now, Jesus isn't on any ballot that I've ever, ever voted on, by the way. Has he been on any ballot that you've, that you've ever used? Never, right? So it's always the, the lesser of two evils. It's always somebody who is just, is still, still a work in progress, right? I hope you hear what I'm saying. We're going to be a Christian nation one day when Jesus returns and he steps foot back on this earth. Why? Because he will rule every nation on this earth when he steps back on this earth. And he's not coming back as a baby in a manger anymore. He's coming back on a horse with fire in his eyes to reign and rule and make all things new. And at that time, this and every nation will be led by Christ himself. Amen? Are you looking forward to that? I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, this nation needs the gospel. And we need to be praying for men and women to step up and lead in this nation who know the gospel, and who fear the Lord. In Colossians 2.8, Paul says this. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. In other words, don't fall for syncretism. You don't need the other stuff. It's not going to make things better. It's only going to make things worse. Now, I've been to Colossae, where this letter was written to. I've been to Colossae, and here's a picture. Put up, put up a couple pictures of Colossae. There's one of them right there, and there's another one. And you're like, hey, pastor, where's the city? I just see like a hill right there. It's actually called a tell. It's called a tell. You see that mound there? That's Colossae. That's Colossae. That's it. It's completely covered up. It's completely consumed. Now check this out. I believe this modern day picture of Colossae is a picture of what happens when we add to the gospel. This just hit me today. I mean this week. I'm like looking at that going, that's exactly what happens when we add to the gospel. We just add a little bit to the gospel in the beginning. Ah, this little thing, man, it just seems like it helps. And, and I can just add this, and it just enhances the gospel. It's no big deal. We add this little thing to the gospel. We add this other little thing to, to what it means to follow Jesus and how to follow Jesus. But over time, all that little stuff takes over. 
And it will completely cover up, consume, and suffocate what was once beautiful and full of life. That's what's left of Colossae right there. And this is what happens when we mix the gospel with other religions, but also what happens when we mix the gospel with our culture. And I thought about this, I was like, where's the city? Well, where's the gospel? And I thought, where's Waldo? But that's just another thing, right? But what's Paul's prescription for these believers in Colossae for, for syncretism? How do you prevent syncretism or how do you walk it back? Number one is you embrace the supremacy of Christ. You want to protect yourself from syncretism, from watering down the gospel, from messing with it, tweaking with it, thinking you're going to add to it. you got to keep Christ supreme. And Paul writes this in Colossians 1, beginning of verse 15. He says, the Son, speaking of Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn among from the dead. So that, look at this, in everything... He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Does, does Jesus need any help? No. He's supreme. What he has done is complete. Sufficient. He's all we need. He's all you need. He stands alone. Now, when you walked in, Bevel, could you bring me the communion elements that are under my chair there? When you walked in, I, I'm hoping that you grabbed communion elements. If you didn't, you can stand up right now and go to the back table in the room here and grab some communion elements if you're a follower of Jesus. And I want us to take communion right here and right now. Because this is what we're remembering and this is why we commune. We, we remember and we commune because of the supremacy of Christ. It was Jesus and Jesus alone who took our sins upon himself. There was nobody else taking that punishment, but Christ alone. And it was his body that was broken for us. So let's take and eat and remember that. And I'm going to read verses 19 and 20 before we take the cup. For God was pleased 
to have all his fullness dwell in him, in his son, in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Nobody else's but his blood. We have peace because his blood was shed for us. Let's take and drink and remember that. Amen. So the question today for us is, have, have we placed our lives fully in what Christ has done? Are we living in such a way where we truly believe and are operating in that reality that, that Jesus is really enough? Is Jesus supreme in your life? Or is he simply plan A? It's a good plan, but you know what? I got a plan B just in case. Is Jesus just one of the places you go for meaning, for purpose, for comfort or help? Or is Jesus your all in all? All in all. All in all. When we add stuff to Christianity, we reduce Christ. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We can't make Christ smaller. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the infinite one, the uncreated one. But when we add stuff to our walk with Christ, when we think that we can add a little bit of our wisdom or the wisdom of the world to that, we make Jesus smaller in our own lives. And we make other things bigger. And we lose when we do that every time. So here was the result. In Colossae, because of this syncretism, they lost the greatness of God. And then they began to lose the nearness of God as well. That's what happens when we bring other things in. Again, when other things come in, they start to, to become bigger and bigger. And Jesus in our lives becomes smaller and smaller. And when we bring other things in, other shiny things in, other smart and, and all this wow kind of stuff in, what happens? Jesus starts to fade away. And we start to lose his nearness. And this was happening to the believers in Colossae. As they were bringing in Angels and spirits and religious practices and religious busyness. Beloved, God isn't far off. And He's with us and He cares for each one of us. And if we feel like we're missing something in our lives, we shouldn't try to fill that with some shiny object or worldly philosophy or influencer or anything like that. If we feel like we're missing something in our lives, we need to turn to Jesus, our all in all. The only one who can satisfy. The only one who can provide what it is that we need. And he's right there. He's not far off. In fact, Jesus himself said, come to me. That's an invitation to everyone here. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. 
Jesus says, I'm always with you. But I don't feel like he's with me right now. I feel like he's far off. Well, maybe, maybe that's because there's a lot of other stuff that's kind of gotten in the way and clouded your vision. Because Jesus said, he's always with you. He'll never leave you, nor forsake you. He's not far off. Proverbs 18, 24 says that God is the one who sticks closer than a brother. It's time to get reconnected to God. and To the nearness that he is and has with us. Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Is that a regular practice of yours? Are you intentional about being still and knowing that He is God? Pulling away from all the noise of the world, all the YouTube videos that are going to fix your life and tell you to how to have a better life right now, all the books, all the, all the podcasts or whatever, do do you make the first and most important thing to be still and know that He is God? Jesus said in John 10, 27, He said, My sheep listen to my voice. Are we listening to His voice? I shared this a little bit on Wednesday a couple weeks ago. Kind of a little like hearing the voice of the Lord 101. You need to be in God's Word because this is the primary place we learn what the voice of God sounds like. How to recognize God's voice right here. And then as we do life, the Lord will speak to us. You know that voice that tells you, stop watching that foolishness on television, it's, it's not good for you? Why are you watching that show that's using the Lord's name in vain? Turn it off. You know that voice? That's not the devil, by the way. It's not a demon. You know that voice that tells you to walk across the street and bless that neighbor who you see is struggling? Or maybe you know that just lost a spouse to cancer or something like that? And you hear that voice that says, you really need to go over there. Take them some cookies. And just sit with them for a little while. That's the Holy Spirit. We can hear God's voice. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. That's an active thing, by the way, listening. If you're a husband, you might not understand that, like me, right? It's an intentional thing we have to do. We actually have to listen, right? You know what I'm saying? But amen, I got an amen. It sounded like a female voice. It sounded like a wife um, of somebody, not mine, but <laughs> my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And then Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Here's what I want to ask you to do this week as you're reading through this amazing letter to the Colossians. I want to ask you to do something very intentional. I want to ask you to disconnect from all the other stuff, all the busyness of life. I want to ask you to get alone with God. I'm not talking about five minutes. 
Would you carve out an hour for the Lord this week? Spend 15 minutes of it reading this letter to the Colossians. And maybe this is a big ask, but is it? Spend the rest of that hour listening to the Lord. What is He saying? You were just in His Word. You're sitting before Him. Listen for His voice. So Paul's prescription for this syncretism stuff, his his prescription for the believers in Colossae and for us today is first to remember the supremacy of Christ. Number two is to embrace freedom in Christ. Doesn't that sound good? Embrace freedom in Christ. Who the Son sets free is Amen. And it's for freedom that we've been set free. Most people think that Christianity comes with a whole new set of rules. Man, I became a Christian. They gave me a rule book. I mean, that's that's what so many people think. Christianity is all about following a new set of rules. Do this, don't do this. People reduce new life in Jesus to a rule book jumping through hoops. And I think it's sad because it's exactly the opposite of what happens when we're born again. We're not born again into rules. We're born again into freedom in Christ. It's not rules in Christ. It's freedom in Christ. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And man, we just mess it all up. Man, we get this whole view that I'm a Christian. Now, give me the rule book. I want to be a good Christian. How about be free? How about find out what it means, really means, to be free in Christ? It might not mean what you think it means. It's a beautiful thing. See, we aren't born again into bondage. We're born again into freedom. And the most free people in the world, when I read the Bible, according to the Apostle Paul, Peter, John, the others who wrote Scripture, Luke even, in in the Gospel of Matthew and in Acts, the most free people in the world are Christians. It's everyone else who is still under bondage and can't get out of it. It's impossible for them. But we have been set free. Amen? And here's what happens. Religion creates rules, but faith in Jesus creates freedom. And why is freedom possible for the believer? Paul outlines it right here in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13. And he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Notice that's past tense. He's talking to believers. When you were dead. Y'all, if you're a believer, you are no longer dead in your sins and in your transgressions. You've been forgiven. You're born again. You've been set free. Don't ever go back to that. Don't keep identifying yourself with who you were. You, scripture, when you, read, when you read, look at the introductions. When Paul's writing, he's writing to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Philippi. Why does he call these believers saints instead of sinners? Because they've been set free. They've been redeemed. I want to encourage you. Do not call yourself a sinner any longer. Don't. 
to call yourself a sinner, to go back to the old person, to declare that you are still broken and still bound in your sin is to disregard the blood of Christ that was spilled for you, that redeemed you, that atoned for you, that forgave you, that set you free. And we're still walking this out, and we're still stubbing our toe, and we're still doing some stupid things. We still sin from time to time. But our identity before the Lord, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, is we are saints. We are children of God, sons and daughters now, no longer orphans, no longer enemies, but friends of God. How and why? Because of what Christ and Christ alone has done for us. So why is freedom possible? Back to Colossians 2, 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Is there anybody or anything else involved in this making us alive? No, it's God. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, all our sins. And having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The gospel is a message of freedom. William Wallace has nothing on the gospel. Freedom! Freedom! And we don't have to paint our faces blue. Freedom! I appreciate what our founding fathers did for us and how we really are the most free nation that's ever existed. But the freedom that we have because of our Constitution, and it's beautiful, and it gets attacked all the time, but the freedom that we have with our, because of our Constitution pales at comparison. It's not even in the same ballpark as the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. The freedom that we have in Christ, no man could ever give us. Freedom. The powers of hell have no more power over us. Do you live every day in that reality? Because that's what Scripture just told us in Colossians 2. The power of sin has no more power. But it keeps pulling me back. It keeps pulling me back. The power of the cross is greater. Go back to it. Remind yourself of that. Embrace it. The plans of the enemy have no power. The written code has been canceled. We're fully alive now in Christ Jesus. In Christ. There's another place where we get ripped off, and that's the place of religion. And Paul talks about that. He says in Verse 20 of, of chapter 2, he says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. 
again. We were born again into freedom, not into rules. Following rules doesn't bring freedom. Following Jesus brings freedom. Relying on man-made religious rules and practices, that's missing the mark, man. That's missing the gospel. It's been said that Martin Luther was asked this question. They asked him, if you take away relics and pilgrimages and prayers to saints, Luther, what will you put in their place? And he simply replied, Christ. Christ. We're not free because we follow rules. We're free because we follow Christ. And when we follow Christ, things change. When we follow Christ, we find His grace at work in our lives. And the things that that we used to be drawn to, we're repulsed by them. And we turn from them. Because our eyes are fixed on Christ. The things that used to pull us down, they don't have that power anymore. Why? Because we're living in the power of of Christ. We think differently. Our wanter changes. You know what I'm saying? We start to come in agreement and alignment with the will of God. It's a beautiful thing. So I want to ask, are there religious rules that are actually keeping you from Christ? Are you relying on religion more than you're relying on Jesus? Think about that this week as you read through Colossians and reconnect again with the supremacy of Christ. He and He alone is your all in all. And finally, the final prescription is to embrace holiness with Christ. How do you want to make sure that you don't have this syncretism and letting these other little things in and messing up the gospel and and the, the walk with Christ? Embrace holiness with Christ. Holiness means to be set apart. Set apart. We're different. How do we live lives that are set apart? It's very simple. Paul says in Colossians 3, 1, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. How do we live set apart? We set our hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God, and then set your minds, your thoughts on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So how do we enjoy nearness to God and live lives that are set apart for God? The key to living for Jesus is being heavenly minded, setting our hearts and our minds on things above. In other words, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus. But there's all this other stuff. Yeah, think about Jesus. But I'm all stressed out. Exactly. Why don't you think about Jesus? Meditate on Him. Sit with Him. But you don't understand. Oh, I understand. Think about Jesus. You know, there's no such thing as being too heavenly minded. There's the old saying, you know, He's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. And I'm always like, that's hogwash, man. That's so crazy. I've never met anybody who's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, but I've met a whole lot of people that are so earthly minded that they're no earthly good. This world does not need more worldly-minded people. 
This world needs a people who are heavenly minded and who will show up and bring heaven right here on earth. That's what we're called to do. So you want to live set apart? Be heavenly minded. This is a good way to be heavenly minded. Get in this right here. The words of God. The promises of God. The plans of God. Truth with a capital T. The other thing that we do to be set apart is we think differently. And that that encourages us and actually empowers us to live differently. And Paul talks about that in Colossians 3. He talks about putting off the old man. He says that to a lot of the churches. Got to put off that old stuff. Well, it'll just fall off. Well, well, Scripture says put it off. Take it off. And then he says, put on the new man. Clothe yourself. We talked about when we were in Ephesians, the, the, the armor of God. And we, we fall in this little trap of, man, I'm in trouble. I'm just going to pray on the armor of God. We're not supposed to pray on the armor of God. We're supposed to put on the armor of God. It's a new way of living. It's God's way of living. And it's the same message that we find here in Colossians. Put off that old way of living, that old way of thinking, that old man, and put on the new man. And finally, the other part, the other way that we set ourselves apart and we find nearness to God is we devote ourselves to prayer, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. Thinking that we can live devoted to God without prayer is foolishness. If you think you're going to grow closer to the Lord, that you're going to hear His voice more, that you're going to experience more of what God has for you on this side of heaven without prayer, if you, if you think you can do it without prayer, I'm going to go ahead and say, foolish. It's not going to work. And Paul calls this church to devote themselves to the place of prayer. At Evident Life Church, prayer is our taproot. It is so important. We don't follow some script from some church out east, some mega church that tells us, hey, do this, then do this, teach on this, then teach on this. No, no, no. We pray. We seek God. What are you saying? What are you calling us to? It's where we find life is in that place of prayer. Let's stand up. My prayer is this is that as you read, as we read through this letter to the Colossians this week, that we would really find the supremacy of Christ being reestablished in our lives, that we would rediscover that closeness of God. My prayer this week, the thing that would get me excited more than anything as a pastor of this church, is to hear people walking up to me over the course of the next week or two saying, Pastor, I spent time just sitting and listening for the Lord in His Word and in prayer. And I'm feeling closer to God. I am hearing His voice. Not only would that get me excited, it would get God excited. That's, he's created us for that. For that. Let's rediscover closeness with God this week as we're in His Word. And finally, my prayer is that you would enjoy the fullness of the freedom that you have in Christ. In fact, I just want to pray this over us. Lord, I just even ask right now that that this week would be a week of freedom for this church family. 
Lord, as we press into your word, as we press in to the reality that the written code has been canceled over our lives, that, that we have been truly set free, that there is no power that is greater than what you've done for us, God that you're supreme in our lives, God, that we would see this week sins that have been holding on to us, sins that have been, been, been con continuing to show up in our lives, that they'd be broken off of us this week. God, that this would be a week of freedom, true freedom, full freedom in you, Christ Jesus. And I just want to pray this. Just receive this even right now. This is from Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts.